Pastor Mai, good afternoon as Blaine Vinor. Happy New Year, if you aren't sick of hearing that by now. Welcome to the first perspective of the 2020s. I'm Dolan Mercer and this is Manx Radio. To kick off the new decade, we're going to start with a debate NMHK recently described as probably the most important debate we've had for decades. Talking to the BBC at the annual Ilium Doan commemoration ceremony at Hango Hill on Thursday, Ralph Peake said Timwald had the opportunity to show some real leadership in tackling climate change. Mr Peake was speaking as one of the members of a climate emergency consultative transformation team appointed by the Manx government in July. That team was made up of representatives from government departments, climate change specialists, as well as two politicians, Mr Peake and Jane Poole Wilson, MLC. It was chaired by a so-called independent expert, Professor James Curran, who was given six months to report back with an action plan for how the island can play its part in mitigating the effects of global overheating. Those six months are now pretty much up, and the findings of that team presented as a report are expected to be laid before Timwald at this month's sitting, which will take place on Tuesday the 21st. The topic of climate change dominated this year's Ilium Doan commemoration ceremony, presumably the main reason why Mr Peake was in attendance. In a break from tradition, two addresses were delivered in English, with both having an environmental theme. First to speak was Devon Watson of the Climate Change Coalition, followed by the author of the Isle of Man Population Atlas, Paul Crane, who is also the Isle of Man leader of the Climate Reality Project. Mr Cranes delivered a series of public speeches on the topic, drawing upon the knowledge and resources he gained after he undertook formal training in the United States last summer. We'll hear what both Mr Watson and Mr Crane had to say later in the programme. But first, let's remind ourselves how the Climate Emergency Consultative Transformation Team came to be in the first place. It was actually, essentially, Ralph Peake's doing. In short, the May 2019 sitting of Timwald saw a motion from Daphne Kane, MHK, wishing to see the court formally acknowledge that the Isle of Man faces an environmental and climate emergency and that the government should allocate the necessary resources to take urgent and significant action. Mrs Kane was also in attendance at this year's ceremony, incidentally. Several members tabled amendments to her motion last summer, including Environment Minister Geoffrey Boot, and Laurie Hooper, who argued in favour of a more radical action plan as he wished to see the island aim to become net carbon neutral by 2035 instead of 2050. But it was Mr Peake's amendment that eventually won the favour of his Timwald colleagues, advocating the idea of an independent team in the first place. Let's hear his original proposition and some views of other members on the proposals. I welcome my colleague and friend from Ramsey in his amendment and, and the points he's actually put down where he, he is got on board with the idea of having a, an independent chair, an independent lead to a dedicated climate emergency transformation team. That is the key point and that's what I called for last month. So I do appreciate how far he's come. The one thing that we do seem to differ on is just the date. I just don't feel today is the day to put down the date. We have got a policy, but the idea of bringing in a recognised independent chair to lead that dedicated climate emergency transformation team is the way forward, because then we will be able 
to look and support and unite together all the members as well as the majority of the public as well to unite and support and lead us to a better future. I have seen members get together and unite and support the independent chair in the health service. We're all now waiting for that outcome. I appreciate that and it is going to cost money, but we all want it to succeed. There's been years and years, decades and decades, minister after minister had a difficult job in health. I really do think now is the time that people do want to support them and do want to find a solution. And, and having that independent expert, we've all met Sir Jonathan Michael, we can all see what that level of expertise, knowledge, wisdom brings here, and we're grateful for that here in the Isle of Man. And it was, it was that, that change in culture I felt, that change in want to succeed. That's what I wanted to bring back to the House last month. That's what I wanted to lift from the success we've had in achieving that, to bring it back here and follow that. Follow that in the biggest issue this island's faced. I was really glad to hear my friend and colleague from Ramsey, Mr. Dr. Allenson, say that even in that debate about health, he did say that the biggest issue is the climate. It's the biggest issue. It's facing us all, all of us, our parents, our grandparents, our children, all of us. People say we haven't got very much small island. What can we do? What we can do is change the mindset. What we can do is lead. We can lead here. We can change the mindset. It's not about throwing money at things. It's about wanting to change. I was lucky enough to go to the Manx Museum last week and hear Professor Peter Bridgewater talk. And he broke it down quite well, he really did. He was able to convert, convert to us. He was quite, he's quite an academic person, but he was able to connect with us, to really connect and actually make it real. The things you need to do, the action you need to take. It's all very well having an academic, having a, a legislative bill, putting it in writing, putting it down there to follow. Unfortunately, human nature works around that, offers, often puts barriers in front of it and you don't achieve it. You have to connect with people. You have to get people to want to do it. So if we've now got this change of culture, I feel, if we've now got a way that we can tap into the expert knowledge, bring it here for the Isle of Man, not copy and paste something on the other side of the world that may well work for someone else. No, get it here, understand the island, and implement it, and want to implement it. I think we all want to leave the place in a better place than we actually came in to this course, but now it's the time to do it. Now's the time to take the action. Mr. President, I really do hope that this issue around the date does not overshadow the importance and the opportunity we've got today Nobody on this floor. Now, I've had 25 years in business working in energy efficiency, so I do understand how hard it is to actually achieve energy efficiency. And I do know you have to know what you're doing, know the route you're going to take, make the commitment, but have to get in and get started. Now, there's been criticism that this hasn't happened over the last few years, but that's happened now. We can't do much about that now, but what we can do, Mr. President, is actually take a decision now, believe believe in what we can do, want to change, and want to deliver. Mr President, I'm delighted that I can stand here as a Manxman 
and actually put together an amendment that I think will improve not just our lives but our future lives. Mr President, I would just like to read out that my motion that Tinwell welcomes the Chief Minister's statement that the Government recognises the climate change emergency that is facing this planet and is committed to immediate action on this, welcomes further related measures and policy initiatives and calls on the Council of Ministers to set up a dedicated climate emergency transformation team led by an independent chair with relevant ex expertise to develop the climate change action plan to include ambitious target options for achieving net zero carbon emissions with interim targets and a climate impact assessment of proposals in order to inform any statutory target obligations included in the proposed climate change bill being introduced in the next legislative year and calls upon the government to lay its climate change action plan before Tinwald by January 2020. Now that won't be the end of it, that will just be the start of it. I appreciate that, this will be an ongoing thing, but that will give us all some understanding that you can then decide and vote on what dates. Since last month's sitting, honourable members have received presentations on climate change from uh, the Department of the Environment on their response to this emergency. And these briefings, I think, have been illustrative, all members, of a concerning mindset. There has been a litany of comments on how very difficult this is, how incredibly expensive uh, this is. There has been much wringing of hands, sharp intakes of breath and scratching of heads. Unfortunately, there's been no articulation of the significant upside. There are enormous opportunities into moving to a net zero carbon emission situation that, that creates really exciting opportunities for our economy. And if you combine that with our biosphere status, a carbon net zero emission island would be a very attractive pool factor for businesses and also people, attracting people to this island as we seek to grow our economically active population. For me, I haven't heard any of this, unfortunately, from the Department of Environment or other senior figures. And, and I think that's unfortunate and it's kind of perhaps indicative of a kind of blinkered approach. The reason I, I, I'm making this point is I think this underlines how important the amendment from Mr Peake is in terms of this must not sit in one government department. This clearly impacts across all sort of government departments and it is essential that there is an independent expert chair. I would submit to honourable members this is always going to be a divisive topic for a number of years. And there is a significant advantage in having that independent expert chair because that 
in many ways brings that respect and removes some of the conflict about various aspects uh, on, on, on this uh, climate change question. On the amendment, ambitious goals are absolutely what is needed alongside the interim targets and the climate impact assessments. These are all covered in this amendment and these goals must be included in the climate change bill and they will be informed by this cross-government approach with an independent expert. I'm very, very supportive of this amendment. I think it really does take the right approach. One last thing from me before I sit down. Please, can we have more positivity on this issue from ministers? Thank you. What a difference a month makes. Yeah. <laughs> this time last month, Mrs Kane brought a very simple motion, a very well-worded motion. If I can just remind us what we were talking about last month, that Tinwald, all of us, believes that the Isle of Man faces an environmental and climate emergency and is of the opinion that the government should allocate the necessary resources to take action and to take urgent and significant action. How could anyone disagree with that? And I don't think we do. Although Mr Shimmins said that this was a divisive, divisive topic, and Mr Cannon said there was a degree of flag-waving, which I, I agree with to a degree, what's happened over the last month is a common consensus here that we need to make urgent and significant action. And that is a significant change on what's happened before. I have great respect for Mr Peake and his efforts in 2016 to come up with a, a plan from then until next year. And it has lots of really good ideas. I can't fault any of them. The actions on them are ongoing. Some have only started the last six months. And I think that's one of the issues we face. I, I think we have got preoccupied with dates. And this is why. That in the past we've had actions, we've agreed to do them, and then they've put off. It's a bit too difficult. We'll wait until later. 2050 is a backstop. If we haven't taken significant action by then, if we haven't reduced carbon emissions to net zero, we may not have a future. It's that stark. It's a backstop. My honourable colleague from Ramsey, Mr Hooper, said that his amendment replaced the 2050 target, which, we've already, which we already have and which government has already said that they will enshrine in legislation. I'm not sure whether it does replace it. I think it complements it. It says that 2050 is a backstop, but we need to do better. And in some ways, we don't know how quickly we can achieve the changes we've agreed to until we start in earnest. And I would argue that we haven't really started in earnest. We know what to do. We're just a bit afraid of doing it. We're afraid of the consequences. And part of that comes down to um, one of the things that Mr. Peake touched on, which is leadership and people wanting to change. There are some fantastic <coughs> positives in all of this. In terms of looking at existing housing and new housing, we've already started to make the changes there. We can do more. Existing housing, but if we look to energy efficiency of the existing housing stock, 
that could cause produce more significant CO2 reductions than even decarbonising the way we produce electricity in the first place. It's that big. But we need to get people on board with this. And rather than looking at individuals, we need to look at communities. We need, as a government, in the various departments, to approach a whole street, a whole neighbourhood, and empower them to make these changes, to show them the way to go along the path that we've agreed to here. But we have to do it together. I know it's a bit of a truism, a bit patronising, but as a government, we cannot dictate to people. We have to get their buy-in, otherwise we won't achieve on the aims that we agree to. It's incredibly important because we're talking about some quite major changes to people's behaviour and the culture of this island. Whether people can burn coal, whether they can cut peat, what car they can drive, whether they can drive a car. We're talking about an overarching ethos that goes to every single policy we look at. The area plan for the north, how we create communities so that people have to travel less. If they do travel, how they can do it through active travel rather than cars. If they are going to drive cars, which cars they drive. If they're going to drive those cars, whether they share lifts with people. It's a cultural and a, and, and a behavioural change that we need to transition. And I don't think any of us know how long that's going to take, but we must aim high. If we aim low, we won't achieve what we have to set out to. There are some major positives, as I've said. The issues of green technology, of, of having a renewable island, all these are fantastic. But we need also to be aware of problems with the supply chain in terms of getting electric vehicles, air source heat pumps, and also the new skills we will need. So again, this goes into education. The, the, you know, my children may want to be a wind turbine engineer. They'll be needing to fit um, triple glazing. They'll be needing to fit electric heat pumps as opposed to gas or oil. These are major changes that we need to move on. To be honest with you, I could vote for all three amendments. We'll have to see which order the, the president decides on. They all go in the same direction. They all look at the same aspirations. What we need to do is do that in a sensible way. We need to make sure we bring the population with us. And we need to make sure we do the job. I would love to see decent targets. And uh, you know, we've talked about an annual review. We do need something like a three-yearly interim target showing emissions. Yeah. We, we can't wait for another 10 years and say, oh, we didn't do it, it was too hard. We need to chart it. In the same way as the Chief Minister's got a programme for government, we need to have a programme for the environment and the, and, and the climate. We need to double-check. And if we don't achieve those targets, there, there better be a reason, and there better be a way of getting back on track. Because once we've set out on this road, there is no going back. Let's be clear about this. It's a quite a clear road. We can deviate, we can um, amble away, but it's a quite clear road, a quite clear direction. What we need to do is start that journey and bring people along with us. We heard there all about the idea of a climate emergency consultative transformation team when it was first proposed in May and June last year by Ralph Peake MHK. Laurie Hooper's amendment wishing to see the island become net carbon neutral by 2035 was defeated by 23 votes to 10. However, Mr Peake's proposal for an independent team gained unanimous support of his Timwald colleagues. So that team was appointed and, as I mentioned earlier, made up of representatives from government departments, climate change specialists, as well as two politicians, Mr Peake and Jane Poole Wilson, MLC. Following the announcement he would be chairing that team, Professor James Curran said, We are facing a climate and an ecosystem emergency. 
adding he was very impressed with the resources available in the Isle of Man, not only the natural resources, but the commitment of the people he had met and the degree of optimism and enthusiasm. There are real opportunities here, he said, to tackle both simultaneously and deliver co-benefits to society, environment and the economy. On Timbald Day, Environment Minister Geoffrey Boot told Manx Radio Professor Curran's appointment would give the protesters what they want, whilst giving the professional help to his fellow politicians. In October, Alex Watton caught up with Professor Curran to get a progress update on how his team's work was coming together. You began as chair in July, so we're about three months of the way through. Six months is the sort of review stage, so halfway through really. How's How's that going so far? Yeah, you're right. Uh, We're halfway through it. It's actually more than that in terms of the immediate workload. Um, Yeah, I was brought in uh, in July, the first week in July, uh, and then we decided to try and take forward the the necessary technical work to underpin the, the Climate Change Action Plan with what we've called an analytical team brought from all the departments in government uh, and we've also tried to uh, meet lots of people externally and we've had a couple of public events and so on. That began to kick off around about the beginning of August. So how big's your team? It's 20, more or less. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so how long is that? August, September and half of October. So two and a half months we've been working and the analytical team, uh, which great people offered from all the government departments have put in a ton of work. So we're beginning to develop those technical reports and those I now need to to pull together into my kind of personal report that will draw on all of that evidential information and make the, uh, the recommendation on the action plan to the government. What is the daily technical work going on? Because we're told you know, over and over again, really, that things are going on behind the scenes and it's sort of lots of hard work's going into yep. it. But for somebody that's uh, doing living their lives as normal, told to ride their bike more often and eat less red meat, I mean, what, what, what work is going on that will directly impact them? Okay, yeah, that's a, a good question because I think uh, most of us who uh, keep up to date with things really know the kind of main elements of what is needed to address climate change or the, the climate change emergency. But underpinning that, exactly how you bring about the necessary actions. Um, You you can't necessarily learn that from other countries because every country is different. So there'll be different priorities and different timescales and different costs and different benefits here on the the Isle of Man. So the the work the analytical team is doing is really trying to dive down into the detail. Um, For example, uh, if we as we will have to move to alternative vehicles from fossil fuel uh, vehicles, then how do you introduce that? How do you persuade people to start using them? Uh, And what sort of infrastructure is needed? So where do you put the charging points? Many people might want them at home, but many people won't have the space or the opportunity to have a charging point for an electric vehicle at home. So where do they go? How do you fit them in? Uh, Should that be funded by the public or can you get a commercial operator to bring in and do that kind of work? Equally, uh, charging points for electric vehicles need to be connected the electric grid so is the electric grid there and available and is it is it big enough and strong enough to charge up all these vehicles if everyone plugs them in at six o'clock in the evening uh, when they stop work so it's that kind of level of detail I mean that is really quite demanding and technical and I'm not saying we'll get every bit of it right of course we won't but you know we, we, we need to look at that 
and look at the kind of costs and also what in new income streams there'll be because some, some of this can be done by commercial operators, some will inevitably fall to the public purse. So it's at that level of detail we need to bring all the evidence together in order that each of those elements of which there are 50 work streams at least, uh, feeding through to what is the eventual action plan. Well, touching on that example of electric vehicles then, uh, you mentioned the infrastructure bringing in. Of course, all of these things would be subject to Timwald approval. Now, we've heard in, in, in the Chamber discussions around that before. Do you feel, as it stands, well supported by government here? All the experience I've had since I uh, began work on, on, on this project in July has been outstandingly positive yeah I, I and I keep asking uh, everyone I meet um, and the public events we've had and the stakeholder events uh, and people we've talked to individually to gather evidence uh, I have not yet detected any kind of adverse comment or, or any negativity um, well, what about the considerations government have said they are still open to in terms of extracting gas from Manx waters? Does, does that not sit at odds with the work you're doing? I can understand that that's quite a consideration for many people. Um, to my mind, it's a very political decision. Uh, you may think I'm trying to dodge the question, but in, in all honesty, it doesn't really fall within my remit. My remit is to... Uh, develop an action plan that would take the island to net zero uh, If this is even being discussed politically, surely the, the climate change chair has to be uh, somebody that is in conversations when that kind of decision making is going on. Well, if you let me explain, because the, the, the task I've been given, my remit if you like, is to develop an action plan to reach net zero in 2050. Now, what does that mean? Net zero in those terms are the, based on the approved calculations by the UN, the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, and they're about territorial emissions. It's about the carbon emissions made by the Isle of Man. Now, you, I come from Scotland, which is quite a high performer when it comes to climate change, but drills for oil and exports oil. Norway's the same, very good in environmental performance but floats on oil. Um, you can say that there's, there's a paradox in there, and I'm not denying it, but both of those actually in terms of the emissions that they report to the UN are performing very well, because although they provide the oil and gas, they don't use it. It's the user takes responsibility for the emissions. So which is why I say this ultimately becomes a political decision. For instance, the English Climate Change Action Plan relies quite heavily on continuing to use uh, natural gas because they intend to develop carbon capture and storage and the resulting carbon emissions from burning the gas they will then pump underground in all the depleted oil and gas fields they have in the North Sea off the east coast of, of England. Um, that is one of their technical routes to, to meet net zero. Carbon capture and storage I don't think will be available here on the Isle of Man, and yet the same requirement will be expected in order to reach net zero of eliminating at some point over the next few decades all burning of fossil fuels. So it's within that kind of factual context that I can offer some input, but I repeat, to my mind, the development of a gas field like that is ultimately a political decision and needs to be part of a political debate. Nevertheless, your team's looking at uh, gathering evidence to look at 
a sustainable future very broadly. Uh, does recommending uh, either extracting fuel or not extracting fuel, would that not be gathering evidence being useful? Uh, you might regard it as gathering evidence and being useful, but it honestly does not form part of my, my, my remit. Uh, so I, I've, I've probably said all I can on that issue. Well, moving on then slightly, uh, obviously we're halfway through, a team of uh, about 20 people gathering evidence. How much are you spending? Uh, I don't know. There, there is a budget, and the people that have formed the analytical team have been lent, if you like, by other government departments, so there's no budget associated with that. We, we have a small element of consultancy as backup, both to challenge our internal work, and where we don't have the expertise, we'd sometimes put out to the consultancy a small amount of additional uh, evidence gathering and analysis to be done on our behalf, but that's relatively limited. It's a, a minority of the complete range of issues we're covering. So if you ask me for an exact figure, I'm sorry, I don't know. How much does what's going on in the UK at the moment play a part in uh, your evidence gathering or looking uh, to, I suppose, affect change? Because I mean, the, vi the Environment Bill, for example, in the House of Commons is, is currently sort of going through. Uh, does, does that have an effect at all about the way you're working here? It, it has some effect. I think the, the greatest source of evidence on which we've drawn uh, significantly is the UK Climate Change Committee, which has commissioned and published a lot of really, really helpful studies, and we certainly draw on that. Scotland as well has done some very useful analysis, and the as I mentioned earlier, the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is part of the UNFCCC, uh, they publish a lot of material as well. So yes, we, we, we look at all of this international work and national work as well, drawing on whatever we can in terms of that uh, context. But as I said earlier, everything needs to be customized to the ex exact situation here in the Isle of Man. How difficult is it to cut through the noise? There are so many reports and talks and just so much information out there. How do you find, as you say, narrow it down to what's relevant here? Yeah, that, that's a very interesting question and it exercises me a lot in <laughs> thinking how to present this action plan at the end of the day. Um, the kind of way I think of it is that I'm a great believer in formalised programme management and this will be if it's approved at the end of the day, a program of actions that spans the whole of government, it spans the whole of civic society here on the Isle of Man, and it spans the next 30 years. So that's quite big in its extent uh, and in its potential impact. To me, that needs to be structured in the way that is a, a formalized program of actions that is monitored and reported on and there are executive decisions associated with it. And I try to look at it if if I was on what you might call the, the governing board of that program, what what actions would I like to see in there that I'd like to know are being taken forward or are either on time or drifting off time? How do we intervene to correct it and so on? So it's at that level of detail that I'm trying to write my report. The, 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 the evidence that's gathered by the analytical team has been a lot, a, a lot more detailed level. But it's about trying to hit that right level. As you say, 
cuts through a lot of the, uh, the, the extremely dense material that can sometimes distract you from the main message and what do we really need to do uh, to meet these targets in the future. Um, that's a difficult balance. I'm not sure anybody's ever got it quite right and I'll probably end up not getting it right myself. Is six months enough time? Yeah, I don't, I don't think really in many ways having longer would produce a better product at this stage. Um, there will be future reviews of the action plan, I'm absolutely certain. Most countries that have a climate change action plan review it every five years. Because this one has been done in a very short period, you might want to have the first review a little earlier than that. But action plans always need to be reviewed anyway because circumstances change, particularly technology develops so fast these days, uh, the costs and so on of technologies change, that it constantly has to be reviewed on a kind of three or five year cycle. So I'm quite comfortable that the, the action plan we'll come up with will be adequate to have a pretty good view, certainly over the first few years, maybe out to 10 years, Beyond that, technology might change so significantly that you need to update it anyway. Do you agree with government's current target for zero carbon emissions? The political commitment is to meet uh, net zero in 2050. The best science, uh, the, the UN science and the IPCC science, states that that is the target in order to uh, keep global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees centigrade, beyond which uh, all, all the best scientists say it becomes dangerous. Um, so that's the best science. It's a very sound, well-evidenced, uh, science-based target. So I think that's a very good starting point. doesn't mean to say that if you progress well, uh, you can't meet that net zero some years earlier. But that's the best target we have that is based on good science. That was Professor James Curran, Independent Chair of the Climate Emergency Consultative Transformation Team, appointed by the Manx government last summer. He was speaking to Manx Radio's Alex Watton in October. We're due to find out what's in the report created by that team, his team, later this month. Its findings are expected to be laid before Timwald at this month's sitting, which will take place on Tuesday the 21st. Ahead of its release and the subsequent debate, this year's Ilium Doan commemoration ceremony focused on climate change in something of a departure from usual routine. Both speakers at the event spoke in English and both addresses looked at similar themes. As promised, let's hear from Devon Watson of the Climate Change Coalition and Fair Free campaign, followed by the author of the Isle of Man Population Atlas, Paul Crane, who's also the Isle of Man leader of the Climate Reality Project. They were introduced by Mark Kermode of McVanin. So welcome everyone to the uh, 2020 Ilium Dome ceremony. Uh, our normal practice is to have an introduction about the, the year past, which Bernard usually does, but Bernard's um, full of it today and he can't make it. Um, but this year, and then, and then we normally have the, uh, the Manx oration followed by an English oration. In Vlain show, be there or ed scansual severe McCown. Uh, chinde, ch- <coughs> no, McCown chindes na hemja, 
as nan gurumrish chumbalach as mershen roishen chunu and roire sahilg as a vernius so this year we've got two important um, English speeches about climate change and our responsibilities to the environment here in the Isle of Man. So uh, what we've elected to do this year is I'm going to do the introduction uh, not bilingually because we're going to get too wet. I'll read it in Manx. There is a full translation underneath on the front page. Tafisek perju nach maliam jinu chindes jain gil gisafil. Ach. Hanel Monarayem and Le Show. Strashliam de Bishavesh Kajan and Acher at a Buns of Lane Rehit. Va Ilium Don, Ernacher Gebes, Kufendel and Asawel Teavanan. Jihar in Nish. Tateavanan, Bunus Ernacher Mau. As Gedevel Ashuneren, the Menech Kerlochten Ern are you. Te Orangoil Rish, the Veldrochstead and Jir, Erachud Smoo. Kinderkrish droch realtus senelian heen. Tankeris feed bonus denyater be. Kretanyat firnach. Vele uns consul consul ne shaveshi. Hanele. Mersmu as nasmu. Tanyat politikach senelian at nish. Nelai eda ik consul ne shaveshi as ik interner teich. As tad bonus den rick politikach. Rishdev lane del Yenish, the Howard Quail gold a menach gis lunnan chit quail foe herveshech enyach, de lord mccown an ayu for gail an orpa. Bonus dach shachten, ta foe herveshech a skeel no on. As house ta Sisyphus, Sisyphus, rolla er a chlach, ta manan gol foe. Ta banken be uns manan, as ta ramsly birchach nach fel geek kishen few. To slay for gale manan erno nach vel rudabi fuon. To manani for gale erno nach veli manan nish murtad smunyak nuri. Tashin leden delay to jikin er manan mu act nan listarachen as bay a vishache, as shen ulia, as to Sisyphus roller a chlach. Ach krenacht fodmage ker litrimus er lay show. Signed in realtus. Ahai Kishin, the ve kinjaks on Ulya Sly as Kolukten uns manan. Sign den Reltis, Goilrish, Nachjin, Tulia Sly, Jinu Veg Erson manan. Sign der Ulyna Politikeren Tigel, Nachvel Show in Ayu. Payachabit Agiri Chinde Rudnich, Din O Ach, Kirschen Er Red Heaven as an Ayu. Din Fuadun, Me Alta Jane Reltis. As mit an Reltis habort mekaun an ayu for gale an opa, as ta ulian a torusen gis lunan soljika mach, bind an Reltis gethen rei rishen kordelis kishen kajan, as telil de jirich rishen opa. Go to my murau. Now, now Devon Watson is going to give us a short talk about the environment soon. Thanks, Rick. everybody. My name is Devin Watson. I am with the Climate Change Coalition and the Fair Free Campaign. The, co the coalition is an unprecedented union of Manx social and political organizations that are lobbying together to encourage, support, and occasionally fight the government in order to adequately address the burning crisis of climate change. We have three main goals. The first is to invest in renewable energy infrastructure. The second is to create interim targets to reduce our carbon emissions 
And lastly, is to uphold our promises to UNESCO uh, regarding our biosphere status. So what I'm talking about today is how environmental reform and economic justice are one and the same. So what are environmentalists on Alaman calling for and what are these economic reforms? We want warm, insulated houses so that no one can go cold in the winter. No one should be left out in the cold. Everyone out here is cold, so uh, we know that the importance of warm and we know the importance of remaining dry. We're calling for local renewable energy infrastructure. Um, energy independence can help us keep money on the Alaman instead of sending it abroad to oil-producing dictatorships. No one who's lived on the Alaman um, and enjoys wonderful weather like we have today would argue that we don't have an abundance of wind, don't have an abundance of rain, and don't have the ability to reduce plentiful, cheap energy. We're calling for more support for local businesses and for people to buy Manx products that don't have to be imported in from overseas. We want a decent, free public transport system that can help connect the Alamad, reduce our carbon, uh, carbon footprints, and improve the lives of working and middle-class families on the Alamad. Free public transport is an, is an essential tool in the fight against climate change and inequality. We can have cleaner, quieter cities. We can have easier parking and we can have far less congestion. We can create community spaces and we can reduce the danger on our roads, which are twice as dangerous as those of the UK. But most importantly, for the first time in decades, we can shift the conversation on how the government can more conveniently uh, make cuts to essential services and towards expanding uh, and improving economic rights and services that we receive from the state. Politicians should enact environmental pledges that are in their manifestos and they should listen to the experts um, when it comes to the science. We are the only country in the world to achieve biosphere status. Uh, and we should protect the biosphere and the natural beauty of our island. And we need an economy that works for average people. What aren't environmentalists asking for? We aren't saying that climate change is the fault of any individual person or group of people. We aren't fighting any individual or group of people. We don't expect anyone to be perfect. We just need people to do the best they can. We aren't looking to get rid of flying, electronics, clothing or meat. We aren't fighting against people, we're fighting against a system that's corrupt, that's broken, and doesn't give um, either environmental or economic outputs to ordinary individuals. Try and recycle and reduce consumption where you can, but these are relatively mild changes compared to the energy infrastructure, the transport infrastructure, and improvements to the housing stock that we need the government to make. We're calling for reform, and reform is what we need. Thank you, everybody. speak about uh, uh, climate change. Faster Myers, Blind by Noor. And I am surprised to be speaking to this gathering here today, but I'm also delighted to be here at the Ilium Dawn commemoration of 2020. I'm grateful to McVannan and I would like uh, to give recognition to them for their commitment to environmental causes over a long period of time. Like every island resident, I like to talk about the weather and it usually gives us plenty of opportunity to do just that. I heard a story uh, some time ago now of good folk from the Isle of Man who were visiting Hong Kong in the days long before the troubles that they've got there now. And they could see it was blowing a bit of a hoolie even by Isle of Man standards. Um, but they, it didn't keep them in. And they were down in central Hong Kong and wondering 
why so many of the shops were closed. And when they said, why are the shops closed in the middle of the week? They said, oh, it's because of this typhoon. They'd been completely unaware of its presence. More precisely today, at the start of 2020, I wanted to talk about the Isle of Man's response to climate change. And I've been asked to do that in five minutes, so we can see why. So I want to look at three simple questions. In doing this, I'm not claiming any moral high ground. I've started on a journey, but I know that I have a long way to go to reduce my personal carbon footprint to where it needs to be. Three questions then. Must we change? Can we change? Will we change? scientific debate about whether or not the climate is changing has long ended. The planet is almost one degree Celsius warmer than it was in the 1880s. In the Isle of Man, the temperature records go back to 1948, that's all, just 72 years of records, and they show a 0.9 degrees Celsius increase in our temperatures. There's no such thing as natural weather here anymore. The air around us is warmer, it has more energy, it can hold more water, it will bring more frequent and extreme weather events. A rise in global temperature of just under one degree Celsius doesn't sound like very much, but its effects are all too obvious. Sea level and sea temperatures have risen. Hurricanes are more powerful and more frequent. Wildfires have multiplied. Think of Australia this week. Flood events have increased. Polar ice is melting. Glaciers are retreating. Deserts are expanding. Species extinctions are on the increase. Millions of people are being affected by water shortage and poor crop yields. Think of East Africa in the last month. And the evidence that this climate change is primarily the result of burning of fossil fuels is overwhelmingly supported by the world's scientific community. If carbon dioxide levels rise, UN forecasts suggest we would see a temperature of 4 degrees Celsius by the end of this century in a world with 11 billion people instead of the 7.8 billion people now. We've got a problem. Some areas of the planet would become uninhabitable. There would be a billion climate refugees. That's the UN estimates. We cannot continue like this. There's no doubt that we must change. Some people have suggested the Isle of Man is so small that nothing we can do here can possibly affect the global climate. Well, the same can be said for Burnley and Halifax and Chester. They're all approximately the same population that we have and hundreds of towns of the same population. The reality is that all communities must do their part. I and mean, if we value the amount of independence we have, we must use that in, in a, a just way. Can we change then? Undoubtedly we can. Renewable energy is available to us. The wind power potential for the Isle of Man is enormous. We have one of the best wind regimes in Europe. There are many options opening up for the storage of renewable energy. Solar energy and ground and air source heat pumps may also have a part to play. In the coming weeks, we have the publication of the Climate Emergency Action Plan. Our hope is that over the next 30 years, this plan will bring about a series of transformations in the Isle of Man. It will change the way we generate electricity, with the shift to renewables starting very soon. It will revolutionise the way we heat our homes and workplaces. It will extend the use of low-carbon construction methods to build zero-carbon houses and will organise the retrofitting of our existing housing stock. It will transform the way we travel with increased use of public transport, electric vehicles, low-carbon ships and aircraft. 
it will encourage new approaches to farming to secure the carbon storage of the island's soils. It must also address the blockage we face with the disposal of fridges and freezers. We have high expectations. Can we change? Yes, we can. There will be many new jobs along the way and we will live in a cleaner, healthier world with richer biodiversity. We must change. We can change. But the answer to the third question is not a foregone conclusion. The December round of the UN Conference of the Parties, so-called COP25 in Madrid, ended last month with a lack of connection between what scientists say must happen if we're to avoid the worst of climate change and what countries are offering in terms of carbon reductions. One emerging debate is whether we face a choice between enjoying economic growth or stopping climate change. Could the right sort of economic development enable us to reach carbon zero? Or is it our overconsumption and obsession with GDP that got us into this mess in the first place? Mark Carney's warning, the Governor of the Bank of England, his warnings this week on stranded assets are a timely reminder. I've heard all this from the audience that, I've at that have attended my climate reality presentations over the last few months. A couple of weeks ago, I met someone who's well known in the Isle of Man for being environmentally very aware. He told me this, I think we're on the way down, Paul. What do you mean, I asked. He said, everything I know about humanity, everything I know about climate change, tells me we're not going to prevent the worst happening. I do not share that view, but we've got a lot to think about. So will we change? Well, it's almost 30 years since I first started teaching about climate change at A-level just down the road at Castle Russian High School. By the Earth Summit in Rio in 1992, the governments of the world understood the problem, but the world's carbon dioxide emissions have risen in every year since then. Globally, we've made no visible progress so far. It is not an exaggeration to say that the future of the planet as we know it is in the hands of the current generations. We cannot afford to get this wrong. I urge every one of us and our government to recognise the journey that we're on, to learn as we go, to hear the voices of our young people, to make or accept the decisions which will make the world a better place for our children's children. We must change. We can change. I believe we will change. Thank you. Well, <clears throat> thanks very much there to two speakers whose uh, orations complemented each other very well. One is our um, ability to change and our responsibility to change, and the other saying it's to our economic benefit and social benefit to change. Here in the Isle of Man, it's not something that we are too small to pay attention to. We heard there from Devon Watson of the Climate Change Coalition and Fair Free Campaign, plus Paul Crane, author of the Isle of Man Population Atlas, who's also the Isle of Man leader of the Climate Reality Project. They were speaking at the 2020 Ilium Doan Commemoration Ceremony at Hango Hill on Thursday, introduced by Mark Kermode of McVannin. So, after an independently chaired Climate Emergency Consultative Transformation team has been working away at this for the last six months or so, we're due to find out the fruits of their labour in the January sitting of Timwald, which gets underway on Tuesday the 21st. It will be interesting to see what the likes of Mr Watson and Mr Crane make of those findings, 
and also how the subsequent debate in Timwald will unfold. On Thursday, Ralph Peake, MHK, described it as probably the most important debate we've had for decades. It could well prove to be a defining debate of the new decade too. Thanks for listening. Take care.